0: SECTION 11 OF INCIDENTS OF TRAVEL IN CENTRAL AMERICA, CHIAPAS AND YUCATAN BY JOHN LLOYD STEFFENS This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson I left the bereaved family and withdrew. The man who had asked me to enter met me at the door and gave me a seat among the friends. He inquired about my country, where it was, and whether the customs were like theirs and very soon but for the lamentations of the widow many would have forgotten that a few yards from them lay a dead friend i remained with them an hour and then returned to my hut the piazza was full of hogs the interior was a perfect piggery full of fleas and children and the woman with a cigar in her mouth and the harshest voice i ever heard still brought in child after child and piled them up on the floor my men were already asleep outside and borrowing an undressed ox-hide i spread it on the floor at the end of the house upon this i laid my pillion and upon that i laid myself the night before i had slept under a mosquito netting oh padre of san jacinto that a man of my rank and character should come to this. The woman was sleepless. A dozen times she came out to smoke a cigar, or to drive away the hogs, and her harsh voice and the screams from the house of mourning made me rejoice when the cocks crew for mourning. CHAPTER Nine, CHIMALAPA. THE CABILDO. A SCENE OF REVELRY. GUSTATOYA a hunt for robbers, approach to Guatemala, beautiful scenery, volcanoes of agua and fuego, first view of the city, entry into the city, first impressions, the diplomatic residence, parties in Central America, murder of Vice President Flores, political state of Guatemala, an embarrassing situation, the constituent assembly, military police. At the peep of day, I bathed in the Montagua. In the meantime, the deaf and dumb boy prepared chocolate, and the corpse of the young man was borne to its final resting place. I went over to the desolate house, bade farewell to the mourners, and resumed my journey. Again, we had on our right the Montagua River and the mountains of Verapaz. The road was level, it was excessively hot and we suffered from thirst at noon we stopped 2 hours at the village of fisioli late in the afternoon we came upon a table of land covered with trees bearing a flower looking like apple trees in blossom and cactus or tunas with branches from 3 to 15 feet long i was in advance and having been in the saddle all day and wishing to relieve my mule I dismounted and walked. A man overtook me on horseback who touched me by telling me that my mule was tired. The mule, unused to being led, pulled back, and my new acquaintance followed, whipping her, and remembering the fable that I could not please everybody, I mounted, and we rode into Chimalapa together. It was a long, straggling village with a large church, but there was no cura and i rode to the cabildo this besides being the town house is a sort of caravansary or stopping place for travellers being a remnant of oriental usages still existing in spain and introduced into her former american possessions it was a large building situated on the plaza plastered and whitewashed at one end the alcalde was holding a sort of court and at the other were the gratings of a prison between them was a room about thirty feet by twenty with naked walls and destitute of chair bench or table the luggage was brought in the hammock hung up and the alcalde sent me my supper hearing the sound of a drum and violin i walked to the house whence it issued which was crowded with men and women smoking lounging in hammocks dancing and drinking agua ardiente in celebration of a marriage the night before i had been present at a death scene this was an exhibition of disgusting revelry and the prominent vagabond was disposed to pick a quarrel with me seeing which i quietly walked back to the cabildo shut the door and betook myself to my hammock we started early leaving the town for some distance on each side was a fence made of a rail upon crotches four feet high and filled with long pieces of tunas the road was the same as we had found it on the preceding day level and abounding with the cactus again it was desperately hot and in the afternoon we saw at the foot of a high mountain a cluster of coconut trees glittering in the sunbeams like plates of silver, and concealing the town of Gustatoya. At four o'clock we entered the town, beautifully situated, overlooking a valley in the rear of the square waving with Indian corn, and rode up to the house of the brother of Doña Bartola, our hostess of Gualan, to whom I was recommended by her. I had a good supper of eggs, frijoles, chocolate, tortillas, and was lying in a hammock with my boots off, when the alcalde entered with a sword under his arm, followed by my host and several other persons, and told me that a party of robbers was out after me, that he had men on their traces, and wished to borrow my arms and servants. The latter I was willing enough to lend, for I knew they would find their way back, but the former, I thought, were more secure under my own eye. Being on the main road, I considered it so safe that I had that day taken off the caps of my pistols and gun, but drawing on my boots, recapping and distributing my surplus arms, we sallied forth. The muleteer would not go, but the deaf and dumb lad, with a face of fire, drew his machete and followed. It was pitchy dark, and on first going out from the light I could not see at all, but stumbled along after my companions, who moved swiftly and without noise through the plaza and along the whole length of the town. In the suburbs we approached a hut which stood alone, with the side toward us, closed, but the light of a fire issued from both ends. And here it was supposed the robbers were unconscious of pursuit or suspicion. After a brief consultation, it was agreed that the party should separate, and one half enter at each end, and the alcalde's charge was to shoot the villains rather than let them escape. Stealing toward the hut, we rushed in at the same time from opposite sides, and captured an old woman, who sat on the ground replenishing the fire. She was not surprised at our visit, and with a bitter laugh said the birds had flown at that moment we heard the report of a musket which was recognized as the signal of the men who had been stationed to watch them all rushed out another report hurried us on faster and very soon we reached the foot of a mountain as we ascended the alcalde said that he saw a man crawling on his hands and feet up the side of the mountain and snatching my double-barrelled gun fired at him as coolly as he would have done at a woodcock all scattered in pursuit and i was left with augustine and the deaf and dumb boy moving on but not very fast and looking back occasionally to the distant lights in the village with an unknown mountain before me and a dark night i began to think that it was about enough for me to defend myself when attacked although the affair was got up on my account it was straining a point for me to pass the night in helping to rid the town of its robbers next i reflected that if the gentlemen we were in pursuit of should take it into their heads to double my cap and white dress made me conspicuous AND IT MIGHT BE AWKWARD TO MEET THEM AT THIS PLACE, AND IN ORDER TO GAIN TIME FOR CONSIDERATION WHAT IT WAS BEST TO DO, I WALKED BACK TOWARD THE TOWN, AND HAD NOT FULLY MADE UP MY MIND WHEN I REACHED THE PLAZA. HERE I STOPPED, AND IN A FEW MINUTES A MAN PASSED, WHO SAID THAT HE HAD MET TWO OF THE ROBBERS ON THE MAIN ROAD, AND THAT THEY HAD TOLD HIM THEY WOULD CATCH ME IN THE MORNING they had got it into their heads that I was an aide-de-camp of Carrera, returning from Belize with a large amount of money to pay the troops. In about an hour, the alcalde and his posse, Comitatus, returned. I had no idea of being robbed by mistake, and knowing the facility with which the robbers might go ahead and take a long shot at me, i asked the alcalde to furnish me with two men to go in advance and keep a lookout, but i was heartily sick of the country and the excitement of its petty alarms daylight dispelled the gloom which night had cast over my spirits leaving gustatoya for some distance i rode through a cultivated country and the fields were divided by fences Very soon I forgot all apprehensions of robbers, and, tired of the slow pace of the cargo mules, rode on, leaving them far behind. At eleven o'clock I entered a ravine so wild that I thought it could not be the main road to Guatemala. There were no mule tracks visible, and, returning, I took another road, the result of which was that I lost my way and rode the whole day alone. I could gain no certain intelligence of Augustine and the muleteer, but continued on in the belief that they were before me. Pushing on rapidly, at dark I rode up to a hacienda on one side of the road, at which I was very kindly received by the proprietor, who was a mulatto, and, to my great surprise, I learned that I had advanced to within one long day's journey of Guatemala. He made me anxious, however, about the safety of my luggage, but for that night I could do nothing. I lay down opposite a large household altar, over which was a figure of the Virgin. At about ten o'clock I was roused by the arrival of Augustine and the muleteer. Besides their apprehensions about me, they had had their own difficulties two of the mules broke down, and they were obliged to stop and let them rest and feed them. Early the next morning, leaving the luggage with the muleteer, which, by the way, was at that time a very imprudent proceeding, and taking merely a change of apparel, I set out with Augustine. Almost immediately we commenced ascending a rugged mountain, very steep, and commanding at every step a wild and magnificent view and from the top saw at a great distance below us in the hollow of an amphitheatre of mountains the village of el puente the ground around which was white and trodden hard by caravans of mules we descended to the village and crossed the bridge which was laid on a stone arch thrown across a ravine with a cataract foaming through it At this point we were completely encircled by mountains wild to sublimity and reminding me of some of the finest parts of Switzerland on the other side of the bridge we commenced ascending another mountain the road was winding and when very high up the view of the village and bridge in the immense distance below was surpassingly fine descending a short distance we passed a village of huts SITUATED ON THE RIDGE OF THE MOUNTAIN, COMMANDING ON BOTH SIDES A VIEW OF AN EXTENSIVE VALLEY, FOUR OR FIVE THOUSAND FEET BELOW US. CONTINUING ON THIS MAGNIFICENT RIDGE, WE DESCENDED UPON A TABLE OF RICH LAND, AND SAW A GATE OPENING INTO GROUNDS, WHICH REMINDED ME OF PARK SCENERY IN ENGLAND, UNDULATING AND ORNAMENTED WITH TREES. In the midst of this stood the hacienda of San Jose, a long, low stone building with a corridor in front. It was one of those situations which, when least expected, touch a tender cord, call up cherished associations, make a traveler feel as though he could linger around it forever, and particularly welcome to us, as we had not breakfasted. It was a hacienda de ganados, or cattle hacienda, and had hundreds of cattle roaming over it. But all that it could give us to eat was eggs, tortillas, and beans softened in hot water, the last being about equal to a basket of fresh chips. This over, we made a last push for Guatemala. The road lay over a table of land, green and rich as a European lawn, ornamented with trees and with features of scenery peculiarly English. Muleteers who had left the city at midnight and had already finished their day's work were lying under the shade of the trees, with their saddles and cargoes piled up like walls, and their mules pasturing near. Along the table was a line of huts, and if adorned instead of being deformed by the hand of man, this would be a region of poetic beauty indians men and women with loads on their backs every party with a bundle of rockets were returning from the capital as they proudly called it to their villages among the mountains all told us that two days before carrera had re-entered the city with his soldiers when we were yet two leagues from the city Augustine's horse gave out I was anxious to have a view of the city before dark and rode on late in the afternoon as i was ascending a small eminence two immense volcanoes stood up before me seeming to scorn the earth and towering to the heavens they were the great volcanoes of agua and fuego forty miles distant and nearly fifteen thousand feet high wonderfully grand and beautiful in a few moments the great plain of guatemala appeared in view surrounded by mountains and in the center of it the city a mere speck on the vast expanse with churches and convents and numerous turrets cupolas and steeples and still as if the spirit of peace rested upon it with no storied associations but by its own beauty creating an impression on the mind of a traveller which can never be effaced. I dismounted and tied my mule. As yet the sun lighted up the roofs and domes of the city, giving a reflection so dazzling that I could only look at them by stealth. By degrees its disc touched the top of the Volcano del Agua. Slowly the whole orb sank behind it, illuminating the background with an atmosphere fiery red a rich golden cloud rolled up its side and rested on the top and while i gazed the golden hues disappeared and the glory of the scene was gone augustine came along with his poor horse hobbling after him and a pistol in his hand he had been told on the way that carrera's soldiers were riotous and that there were many ladrones about the suburbs of the city, and he was in the humor to fire upon anyone who asked a question. I made him put up his pistols, and we both mounted. An immense ravine was still between us and the city. It was very dark when we reached the bottom of this ravine, and we were almost trodden down by a caravan of loaded mules coming out, Rising on the other side to the top, we entered the outer gate, still a mile and a half from Guatemala. Inside were miserable huts, with large fires before them, surrounded by groups of drunken Indians and vagabond soldiers, firing their muskets at random in the air. Augustine told me to spur, but his poor horse could not keep up, and we were obliged to move on at a walk as yet i did not know where to stop there was no hotel in guatemala what's the use of a hotel in guatemala whoever goes to guatemala was the answer of a gentleman of that place to my inquiries on this subject i had several letters of introduction and one was to mr hall the english vice-consul and fortunately resolved to throw myself upon his hospitality we picked up a ragged Indian, who undertook to conduct us to his house, and under his guidance entered the city at the foot of a long straight street. My country-bred mule seemed astonished at the sight of so many houses, and would not cross the gutters which were wide and in the middle of the street. In spurring her over, she gave a leap that, after her hard journey, made me proud of her, but she broke her bridle, and I was obliged to dismount and lead her. Augustine's poor beast was really past carrying him, and he followed on foot, whipping mine, the guide lending a hand before and behind. In this way we traversed the streets of Guatemala. Perhaps no diplomatist ever made a more unpretending entry into a capital. Our stupid Indian did not know where Mr. Hall lived, "'There were hardly any people in the streets to inquire of, "'and I was an hour hauling my mule over the gutters "'and grumbling at the guide before I found the house. "'I knocked some time without receiving any answer. "'At length a young man opened the shutter of a balcony window "'and told me that Mr. Hall was not at home. "'This would not serve my turn. "'I gave my name and he retired.' and in a few minutes the large door was unlocked and mr hall himself received me he gave me as a reason for not opening sooner that the soldiers had mutinied that day for want of pay and threatened to sack the city carrera had exerted himself in trying to pacify them and had borrowed fifty dollars from his mr hall's neighbour a french merchant but the inhabitants were greatly alarmed, and when I knocked on his door, he was afraid that the soldiers were beginning to put their threat in execution. Mr. H. had taken down his staff, because on their last entry, when he had his flag flying, the soldiers had fired upon it, calling it a bandera de guerra. They were mostly Indians from the villages, ignorant and insolent, and a few days before— he had had his hat knocked off by a sentinel because he did not raise it in passing for which his complaint was then before the government note it is due to carrera to say that by his orders the soldier received two hundred lashes the whole city was kept in a state of awe no one ventured out at night and Mr. Hall wondered how I had been able to wander through the streets without being molested. All this was not very agreeable, but it could not destroy my satisfaction in reaching Guatemala. For the first time since I entered the country, I had a good bed and a pair of clean sheets. It was two months that day since I embarked from New York, and only one since I entered the country but it seemed at least a year the luxury of my rest that night still lingers in my recollections and the morning air was the most pure and invigorating i ever breathed situated on the tierras templadas or temperate regions on a tableland five thousand feet above the sea the climate of guatemala is that of perpetual spring and the general aspect reminded me of the best class of italian cities it is laid out in blocks of from three to four hundred feet square the streets parallel and crossing each other at right angles the houses made to resist the action of earthquakes are of only one story but very spacious with large doors and windows protected by iron balconies in the center of the city stands the plaza a square of one hundred and fifty yards on each side paved with stone with a colonnade on three sides on one of these stands the old vice regal palace and hall of the audiencia on another are the cabildo and other city buildings on the third the custom house and palace of the sedivant Marquisate of icinena and on the fourth side is the cathedral a beautiful edifice in the best style of modern architecture with the arch episcopal palace on one side and the college de infantes on the other in the center is a large stone fountain of imposing workmanship supplied with pipes from the mountains about two leagues distant and the area is used as a market place the churches and convents correspond with the beauty of the plaza, and their costliness and grandeur would attract the attention of tourists in Italy or Old Spain. The foundation of the city was laid in 1776, a year memorable in our own annals, and when our ancestors thought but little of the troubles of their neighbors. At that time, the old capital 25 miles distant shattered and destroyed by earthquakes was abandoned by its inhabitants and the present was built in the rich valley of las vacas in a style commensurate with the dignity of a captain generalship of spain i have seldom been more favorably impressed with the first appearance of any city and the only thing that pained me in a two hours stroll through the streets was the sight of Carrera's ragged and insolent-looking soldiers. And my first idea was that in any city in Europe or the United States, the citizens, instead of submitting to be lorded over by such barbarians, would rise en masse and pitch them out of the gates. In the course of the morning, I took possession of the house that had been occupied by Mr. DeWitt, our late de Fer. if i had been favorably impressed with the external appearance of the houses i was charmed with the interior the entrance was by a large double door through a passage paved with small black and white stones into a handsome patio or courtyard paved in like manner on the sides were broad corridors paved with square red bricks and along the foot of the corridors were borders of flowers in front on the street and adjoining the entrance was an anteroom with one large balconied window and next to it a sala or parlor with two windows at the further end a door opened from the side into the comedor or dining room which had a door and two windows opening upon the corridor At the end of the dining room was a door leading to a sleeping room, with door and one window, and then another room of the same size, all with doors and windows opening upon the corridor. The building and corridor were continued across the foot of the lot. In the center were rooms for servants, and in the corners were a kitchen and stable, completely hidden from sight, and each furnished with a separate fountain this is the plan of all the houses in guatemala others are much larger that of the icenena family for instance covered a square of two hundred feet but mine combined more beauty and comfort than any habitation i ever saw at two o'clock my luggage arrived and i was most comfortably installed in my new domicile the sala or reception room was furnished with a large bookcase containing rows of books with yellow bindings which gave me twinging recollections of a law office at home the archives of the legation had quite an imposing aspect and over mr de witt's writing-table hung another memorial of home a facsimile of the declaration of independence my first business was to make arrangements for sending a trusty escort for mr catherwood and this over it was incumbent for me to look around for the government to which i was accredited from the time of the conquest guatemala had remained in a state of profound tranquillity as a colony of spain the indians submitted quietly to the authority of the whites and all bowed to the divine right of the romish church in the beginning of the present century a few scattering rays of light penetrated to the heart of the American continent. And in 1823, the Kingdom of Guatemala, as it was then called, declared its independence of Spain, and after a short union with Mexico, constituted itself a republic under the name of the United States of Central America. By the Articles of Agreement, the Confederacy was composed of five states, that is, Guatemala, san salvador honduras nicaragua and costa rica chiapas had the privilege of entering if it should think proper but it never did quetzaltenango a district of Guatemala, was afterward erected into a separate state and added the monster party spirit was rocked in the very cradle of their independence and a line of demarcation was at once drawn between the aristocratic and democratic parties the local names of these at first confused me the former being called the central or servile and the latter the federal or liberal or democratic party substantially they were the same with our own federal and democratic parties the reader will perhaps find it difficult to understand that in any country in a political sense Federal and Democratic can mean the same thing, or that when I speak of a Federalist I mean a Democrat, and to prevent confusion in referring to them hereafter, I shall call the aristocratic the Central and the Democratic the Liberal Party. The former, like our own Federal Party, was for consolidating and centralizing the powers of the general government, AND THE LATTER CONTENDED FOR THE SOVEREIGNTY OF THE STATES. THE CENTRAL PARTY CONSISTED OF A FEW LEADING FAMILIES, WHICH BY REASON OF CERTAIN PRIVILEGES OF MONOPOLY FOR IMPORTATIONS UNDER THE OLD SPANISH GOVERNMENT, ASSUMED THE TONE OF NOBLES SUSTAINED BY THE PRIESTS AND FRIARS AND THE RELIGIOUS FEELING OF THE COUNTRY. THE LATTER WAS COMPOSED OF MEN OF INTELLECT AND ENERGY, who threw off the yoke of the romish church and in the first enthusiasm of emancipated minds tore away at once the black mantle of superstition thrown like a funeral pall over the genius of the people the centralists wished to preserve the usages of the colonial system and resisted every innovation and every attack direct or indirect upon the privileges of the church And their own prejudices or interests the liberals ardent and cherishing brilliant schemes of reform aimed at an instantaneous change in popular feelings and customs and considered every moment lost that did not establish some new theory or sweep away some old abuse the centralists forgot that civilization is a jealous divinity which does not admit of partition and cannot remain stationary the liberals forgot that civilization requires a harmony of intelligence of customs and of laws the example of the united states and of their free institutions was held up by the liberals and the centralists contended that with their ignorant and heterogeneous population scattered over a vast territory, without facilities of communication, it was a hallucination to take our country as a model. At the third session of Congress, the parties came to an open rupture, and the deputies of San Salvador, always the most liberal state in the Confederation, withdrew. Flores, the vice-chief of the state of Guatemala, a liberal, had made himself odious to the priests and friars by laying a contribution upon the convent at quetzaltenango and while on a visit to that place the friars of the convent excited the populace against him as an enemy to religion a mob gathered before his house with cries of death to the heretic flores fled to the church but as he was entering the door A mob of women seized him, wrested a stick from his hands, beat him with it, tore off his cap, and dragged him by the hair. He escaped from these furies and ran up into the pulpit. The alarm bell was sounded, and all the rabble of the town poured into the plaza. A few soldiers endeavored to cover the entrance to the church, but were assailed with stones and clubs, and the mob bearing down all opposition forced its way into the church making the roof ring with cries of death to the heretic rushing toward the pulpit some tried to unhinge it others to scale it others struck at the unhappy vice chief with knives tied to the ends of long poles while a young fiend with one foot on the mouldings of the pulpit and the other elevated in the air leaned over and seized him by the hair the curate who was in the pulpit with him frightened at the tempest he had assisted to raise held up the holy of holies and begged the mob to spare him promising that he should leave the city immediately the unhappy flores on his knees confirmed these promises but the friars urged on the mob who became so excited with religious frenzy that after kneeling before the figure of the saviour exclaiming we adore thee o lord we venerate thee they rose up with a ferocious cry but for thy honour and glory this blasphemer this heretic must die they dragged him from the pulpit across the floor of the church and in the cloisters threw him into the hands of the fanatic and furious horde when the women like unchained furies with their fists sticks and stones beat him to death his murderers stripped his body leaving it disfigured and an object of horror exposed to the insults of the populace and then dispersed throughout the city demanding the heads of liberals and crying viva la religion y mueren los erregos del congreso about the same time, religious fanaticism swept the state, and the liberal party was crushed in Guatemala. But the state of San Salvador, from the beginning the leader in liberal principles, was prompt in its efforts of vengeance, and on the 16th of March, 1827, its army appeared within the outer gates of Guatemala, threatening the destruction of the capital but religious fanaticism was too strong. The priests ran through the streets exhorting the people to take up arms. The friars headed mobs of women, who with drawn knives swore destruction to all who attempted to overturn their religion. And the San Salvadorians were defeated and driven back. For two years the parties were at open war. In 1829 the troops of San Salvador under General Morazan, who had now become the head of the Liberal Party, again marched upon Guatemala, and after three days' fighting entered it in triumph. All the leaders of the Central Party, the Aysinenas, the Pavons, and the Peñoles, were banished or fled. The convents were broken up, the institution of friars abolished, THE FRIARS THEMSELVES PUT ON BOARD VESSELS AND SHIPPED OUT OF THE COUNTRY, AND THE ARCHBISHOP, ANTICIPATING BANISHMENT, OR PERHAPS FEARING A WORSE FATE, SOUGHT SAFETY IN FLIGHT. IN 1831, GENERAL MORAZAN WAS ELECTED PRESIDENT OF THE REPUBLIC. AT THE EXPIRATION OF THE TERM, HE WAS RE-ELECTED, AND FOR EIGHT YEARS THE LIBERAL PARTY HAD THE COMPLETE ascendancy. During the latter part of his term, however, there was great discontent, particularly on account of forced loans and exactions for the support of government, or as the centralists said to gratify the rapacity of unscrupulous and profligate office-holders. The church party was always on the alert, the exiles in the United States and Mexico, and on the frontier, with their eyes always fixed upon home kept up constant communications and fostered the growing discontents some of them in a state of penury abroad ventured to return and these not being molested others soon followed at this time came on the rising of carrera which was at first more dreaded by the centralists than the liberals but suddenly, and to their own astonishment, placed the former nominally at the head of government. In May, preceding my arrival, the term of the president, senators, and deputies had expired, and no elections had been held to supply their places. The vice president, who had been elected during an unexpired term, was the only existing officer of the federal government the states of Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica had declared themselves independent of the federal government. The states of San Salvador and Quetzaltenango sustained the federal government, and Morazan, as commander-in-chief of the federal forces, had defeated Ferreira and established troops in Honduras, which gave the Liberal Party the actual control of three states. Virtually, then, the states stood three and three. Where was my government? End of eleven.